We are the community of those who did not make the cut, but we are also the community of those who have and are experiencing heart healing forgiveness from our Lord. We have been called to be renewed by Him when we trust Him as our Savior and to be renewed by Him every day and every hour of every day if we will allow Him to do so. This morning we're going to look at the story of two folks. One, fo- one person who was highly esteemed in the community who did not allow Jesus to renew his life and then another member of the community who did allow Jesus to renew her life. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke's Gospel, chapter 7. Luke's Gospel, chapter 7. Now, in order to understand this parable of the debtors, and we are in a series of messages on the parables of Jesus, I want to lay out the context of this parable, both from the context of the Scripture in which it occurs, as well as the customs of that day, because there's a lot of stuff in this parable that doesn't make much sense if we don't understand the customs that were being followed at that time. First of all, this story features the following characters. You're going to meet Simon, who is a Pharisee. The Pharisees were the largest sect of the religious sects of Israel at that time. They were very strict. They had more rules than they knew what to do with. And they insisted that they follow the rules and everybody else follow the rules in order to be accepted by them and accepted by God. Next, you meet, of course, the Lord Jesus. Then there is a woman that you will meet in the story. And then there is a crowd that sort of has anonymity about it. It just refers to people coming and going and folks sitting around the table. This story takes place early in Jesus' ministry in the northern part of Israel known as Galilee, and Bible scholars view this story as taking place again in the early year of Jesus' ministry, and we refer to it as the great Galilean ministry because he does so many things in this northern region of Galilee in a compact period of time. We're going to be looking, of course, at the book of Luke. The book of Luke is centered around the person of the Lord Jesus and specifically Jesus' ministry to seek and to save those who are lost. So as you get into the story, remember that Luke is constantly trying to present Jesus as the Savior who is seeking to save those who are lost. And this is part of a section that is presenting Jesus with the question, who is Jesus? And what Luke is going to try to answer with that, in that question here is, who is Jesus? He is the one who forgives and transforms lives. Now, let's look at the customs of that day and how they're going to impact the stories we get into it. Houses in those days were often built with large courtyards that were in the center area of the house. And the courtyards were where the formal meals took place. And the formal meals took place in those courtyards in part so that people, outsiders, could actually look in on the meal. Now, remember this. In our day and age, if you have guests over to eat, they come to your house by invitation only. And once they're in the house, you shut the door and nobody else comes to the meal except the people that you've invited. Many of you get ready to have Thanksgiving dinners, and your idea of having your Thanksgiving dinner, friends or family are going to come over. They come over because you invite them. And once they're there, you will shut the door. You don't anticipate strangers are going to show up at your door and invite themselves to your Thanksgiving dinner. If they do, you will probably show them the side door, and they can leave as fast as they came in. Well, in the ancient world, the customs were exact opposites of that. They would throw these big banquets, and it was entirely 
uh, acceptable for folks to come and to stand and to watch the banquet as it was taking place and to even invite yourself to come into the banquet uh, and to participate in the banquet. For example, poor people would often come into these banquets and beg for food, and, and the rich who were sitting around eating the feast would share some of their meal with them. So remember that dynamic as we get into this story. Now, when you went in to eat in those days, you would walk in, and the eating area would be set up like a wheel. In other words, the food would be on a table in the center of it. Have you ever been to uh, one of those Japanese steakhouses? It's a little bit like that, in that the food is in the center of the table, and the eating area was in a circle around the center area where the food was. Now, they didn't eat sitting up like we do. In those days, when you went to a formal banquet, there were couches that were going to be extended in a circle around the eating area, and you would lay on the couch on your left side and rest your head in your hand, and that's the way you would eat. Now, that seems strange to us, but that, again, was the custom of the way they ate. Their meals tended to go on for hours, and so they ate in a very relaxed posture. The feet were extended to the very back uh, of the person, and part of the reason for that is the feet were considered to be dirty and smelly, and so they wanted the feet as far away from the food as possible. So that's the reason you recline uh, looking towards the food with your feet at the other end. Now, you wore sandals in those days instead of shoes, and if you've ever wore sandals for very long, you know that your feet tend to get dirty and they get sweaty, and in particular if you're in heat, they start smelling bad, etc. So the custom in those days is that when you went into a home, the first thing they did was to wash your feet so that your feet would feel good and so that your feet would not add to a nice odor that would fill the room or the courtyard while you were trying to eat. So they would wash your feet. And another thing that they would do is that they would anoint you uh, with oil uh, as a way of welcoming you. And all of these things that I'm mentioning were signs of hospitality and saying you are welcomed here when you come. Also, kissing a person's feet, though that would seem very strange to us, was a common side common mark of deep reverence in those days. Now, in our culture, if you tell somebody to kiss your feet, uh, it's not a sign of deep reverence and being nice to them and welcoming them. And we'd be very offended if we went to somebody's house and they told us to kiss their feet. But in those days, kissing a person's feet was considered a sign of deep reverence. All right, with that historical context, let's look at Luke's Gospel, chapter 7, beginning with verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Again, there's that idea of reclining back. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flax of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he counseled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one I suppose from whom he counseled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, 
You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, my message outline is contained in your bulletin, and I invite you, if you would, to follow along with me. First of all, heart-healing forgiveness, the kind of forgiveness that we need, the kind of forgiveness that the Lord wants to give us, begins with a strong sense of need. Notice it says that this was a woman of the city and that she was a sinner. Now, anytime in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see the term sinner, know, as I said to you last week, that's not a garden variety sinner. Okay, that's just not saying hey, somebody's a sinner. This is someone who sins with notoriety. In other words, everybody knew how this woman had sinned. And there's some hints in this passage of Scripture that would indicate that she was probably a prostitute when it refers to her as a woman of the city. And so this lady with this bad reputation comes in here and she begins to carry out this worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now it says the first thing that she does is she lets down her hair and she begins to cry and she begins to wipe the feet of Jesus with her hair. Now, in those days, for a woman to let her hair down in public was considered shameful, so she was taking a real risk when she did that with Jesus. Notice what happens in the story. Everybody's sitting there, and they're onlookers, and he's in Simon the Pharisee's house. And he's sitting there. Jesus is reclining at the table. The meal's started. And this woman walks in. Now, there's some dynamics going on here that we don't pick up because of our culture, but people in that day would have picked up in their culture. So let's look at the dynamics that are going on here. Jesus walks into the house. Common expected courtesy is that when a guest walks in and Simon has invited Jesus to this meal, that the first thing Simon would have done or had his household servant do is to wash Jesus' feet. But there's no washing of the feet that takes place. He was supposed to, in those days, you would put your arm around the shoulder of the person and give them what was called the kiss of friendship or welcome. That is not done. When a person came in, they would recline at the table, feet washed, give them the kiss, anoint them with ointment. That is not done. Now, the reason I'm going over that is for this purpose. If you had been sitting there in that cultural context and you noticed that Simon wasn't washing his feet, he wasn't putting any oil on him, he didn't give him the kiss of friendship, that would have been considered animosity and a put-down. So everybody in the room understands that even though Jesus has been invited to Simon's house, Simon, by what he is not doing, is sending signals to Jesus and everybody in the room that he really doesn't consider Jesus much of a person. He's not worth washing his feet. 
He is not worth giving him a kiss. He is not worth anointing him. So he's, by silence, in absence of what he's doing, basically insulting Jesus over and over and over again in front of a crowd. It would sort of be like if you went to somebody's house, they didn't even speak to you when you walked in the door. Uh, They didn't offer you anything to drink, anything to eat, didn't tell you where the bathroom was. I mean, you're just sort of sitting there feeling like, you know, why they even bothered to invite me here? That was sort of the atmosphere that's going on in the home there, and there's all kinds of tension. And then this lady walks in, and everybody knows apparently who she is and what her reputation is, and she begins to do all the things that Simon should have done. And apparently she had observed what Simon didn't do. And so the tension is even getting higher in the room. And Simon's sitting there and he's thinking, Jesus has come in here and he's brought one of these lowlifes with him. And look what she's doing. She is disgracing my house, disgracing this meal that I have offered. And so he is offended. But folks, when we invite Jesus to the table, he doesn't usually come alone. When we invite Jesus into the church, he doesn't come alone. Jesus always brings with him the people who feel like they need him and they are following him. And so whenever we ask God to work in our midst and do a work among us, in us, through us, and around us, be prepared for him to bring in and show up with some folks that are going to make us feel uncomfortable. Be prepared for him to say, hey, these are the folks that I want you to minister to. These are the folks that are coming after me. And there's always that tension there. And we've got to be willing and ready to adjust to the tension because we've got to adjust to what Jesus is doing. And Simon was having a hard time adjusting to the people who followed Jesus and wanted a touch from Jesus. You see, this lady was there because she recognized that she needed his forgiveness and she wanted his forgiveness. Simon, on the other hand, didn't feel like he needed any forgiveness, didn't want any forgiveness. Verse 39, he even refers to Jesus as this fellow. He doesn't say this prophet. He doesn't say the Son of God. He just says this fellow. He doesn't understand the heart of God, but the lady there does. She had a sense that she needed forgiveness, and we receive or begin the journey of forgiveness when we say, hey, I recognize that I need forgiveness. Notice second in this passage that we ask forgiveness with action. Verse 37, verse 38, it says she brings out this alabaster box, which would have been like a soft stone. It was a perfume container, and often alabaster boxes were used to contain perfume in those days. Now, what she does, she risks being rejected and thrown out of of the meal. She begins to wash his feet, and notice how she's washing them. She takes her hair, and she's crying, and she begins to wash those dirty, stinky, dusty feet with her hair. And her hair, no doubt, would have begun to have been gummed up between the water and the dirt. Now, can you imagine that? Now, most women that I know don't like their hair to get dirty. Now, guys, we tend to be different. I've seen guys on occasion that you could have done an oil change off of their hair. It's been so long since they uh, bothered to wash it. Uh, We don't tend to pay necessarily that much attention to it. But uh, ladies are very different. Uh, I remember when I was growing up as a boy, Fridays and Saturdays were the big beauty parlor days. 
in our family. And uh, my grandmother headed in. We, I grew up in Richmond, and my grandmother would always head on Saturday morning to downtown Richmond to get her hair done and do some shopping. Uh, but that was the big thing. And, and I learned watching her and watching my mother, um, et cetera, through the years that the one thing you do not do is stand between a lady and a beauty parlor. That is a dangerous place to stand. And so she would have been like that. And can you imagine what she is going through as her hair is getting dirty and matted with that dust and so forth as it turns into like a paste and it's filling up and messing her hair up. And she's doing that, then she anoints him and this is, is costing her money. What is she saying by this? She's asking for forgiveness and she's asking for forgiveness by saying, I'm thankful that you give me the time of day. I'm thankful, Jesus, that you allow me into your presence. I'm thankful that you allow me to touch you. And, and her actions here also spoke of how she held Jesus in a reverent awe. She is doing the work of a household servant, and what she is doing is an act of humility. Now, follow me on this. The reason sometimes when we ask for forgiveness and we don't really feel like we've been forgiven is we weren't really serious in asking for the forgiveness in the first place. You see, when I go to the Lord and I say, Lord, would you forgive me of my sin, and then I'm going to just skip on about the rest of my day, I don't really know that I want God to forgive me because I'm not that serious. My actions are not saying that I want to be serious. That lady demonstrated that she wanted forgiveness, and notice that her forgiveness, her desire for forgiveness, was married to her worship. She worshipped him, and as she worshipped him with these acts of giving up the expensive ointment, as getting her hair dirty, as she worshipped him, she was saying, would you forgive me? And you see, genuine forgiveness is always tied inextricably to worship. Because when I'm asking him for forgiveness, I am saying to him, Jesus, would you forgive me? But I want to humble myself before you. I want to say to you, Jesus, that you call the shots and I don't. I want to be your servant, Lord. And I want to hold you in reverent awe. I want to worship you and adore you for who you are. Forgiveness, genuine asking for forgiveness is always going to be tied to our worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice in verse 39, the Pharisee looks around the table, and the question is asked, does Jesus know who's touching him? Does he know who's touching him? Of course he knew who was touching him. But this is what I love in the story. She comes in there regarded by the Pharisee in the town as this dirty, filthy, no-good-for-nothing sinner. She is asking for forgiveness. She's desiring to worship him, and she begins to touch him. Now, there's more going on here than her just touching his feet. Do you see what's happening here? A dirty, filthy, rejected sinner by everybody in the town was touching the feet of the perfect Son of God. You see, Jesus lets dirty, filthy, rejected sinners touch him. Because when we touch him, we are changed, we are cleansed. Our sinfulness encounters His holiness. Our imperfection comes face-to-face -face with His perfection. Our inability comes face-to-face -face with His ability to change us. Our need is met by the overwhelming essence of who He is and that He can meet every need in our life. Her need for forgiveness came face-to-face -face with His overwhelming ability 
to forgive her, restore her, and set her free. And the reason I emphasize that is, folks, when you sit back and you say, I'm not worthy to be close to Jesus, and I'm not worthy of touching Jesus, Jesus told this story to say, touch me, touch me, touch me. Get as close to me as you possibly can, because that's where I begin to transform lives and make a difference. Now, notice what happens next in the story as he begins to do his work of transformation. He looks over at Simon. He says, Simon, I want to tell you a story. Simon says, okay. He says, there was this guy who lent lent out money, did it with interest. And to one person, he gave, lent out 500 denarii. Now, denarii were a form of currency that day, and 500 denarii was the equivalent of 20 months' wages. Big time money. There was another person, he says, that was loaned 50 denarii, which was the equivalent of two months' wages. Now, what Jesus is saying here is this. The 500 represents 20 months of hard work. The 50 represents two months' wages. Either way, it's a big chunk of money that he's talking about here. She is the 500 center. And Simon is the 50 center. But both of them owe big time. Both of them owe big time. Verse 42, Jesus says, The lender counsels the debt of both. First thing Jesus is saying to Simon, to us, everybody owes us. Everybody owes God. We all tempted to look at somebody else and say they send a whole lot more than I have. So I'm not too bad. But Jesus looked around the room, he looked at Simon, and he said, Simon, you owe 50. Yeah, you may not think you're a 500 center, but you're a 50 center. You owe big time too. Everybody owes big time. But out of my love and my grace, I counsel the debt. I forgive. Now, what does it mean to be forgiven? Let me tell you, first of all, what it does not mean to be forgiven. Being forgiven, forgiveness, does not mean letting someone off the hook and saying they're not going to get punished and go your way because it's no big deal. Forgiveness is not, I'm letting you off the hook, you're not going to be punished because your sin, what you need to be forgiven of, is no big deal. Now, we tend to think that's the way it works. You know, we come to the Lord and say, Lord, would you forgive me? And God's going to look and say, hey, I forgive you because that's the kind of thing I do. And it's no big deal, so I'm not too bent out of shape about it, so don't worry about it. If you've ever had somebody come to you and ask for your forgiveness and you said that to them, but deep down on the inside it was a big deal to you, then we don't really don't forgive at that point because the way we were hurt or offended, et cetera, is a big deal to us. So this business of being forgiven of sins is not some like, you know, God just looks at us and says, hey, there's no big deal. It doesn't really, you know, whack me up too much. I could care less. You're just going about your business. That is not what forgiveness is. The idea of forgiveness, the root word that is used in the Greek language here and builds off of the Old Testament Hebrew concept of forgiveness, has two key ideas. The first is to send something away. To send something away. In the Old Testament, this is what they would do. When the priest would forgive, the way he represented the forgiveness of sins on the part of God is they would bring in a goat. And the priest would stand over the goat, and he would begin to confess the sins of the people over the goat. 
And when he was finished confessing the sins of the people over the goat, they would take the goat out into the wilderness and basically hit it on the back end and send it out into the wilderness. And the goat was called the scapegoat. And the idea was that that goat represented that forgiveness meant that all the sins of the people were taken away from them, sent away from them by God, never to be seen and heard of again. So when Jesus forgives, he sends the sin away. The second idea is to let something go, to let something go. And it's like this. I'm holding this pen in my hand here. If I let it go, what happens? I drop it. It's not in my possession anymore. I'm not looking at it. I'm not touching it. It doesn't belong to me. I've let it go. And the idea of God forgiving us is that he lets our sins go. He doesn't hold the sin over us anymore. He doesn't hold the punishment over us anymore. He lets it go. So when Jesus here talks about forgiveness, what he's saying is, I'm going to send the stuff away from your life, and I'm going to let it go. I'm going to let the punishment go. I'm going to let it go from your life. Now, please follow me on this. When we have an idea that forgiveness means that I come to the Lord and I say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin because I don't want to get punished. I don't want to deal with the consequences of it. Would you please forgive me my sin? Thank you for that forgiveness. Amen. Hallelujah. Jubilee. And then five minutes later, I'm back into the same sin again. How many of us have done that? You know, we ask for forgiveness at 9 o'clock, and by 12 o'clock, we back in it. Now, let me tell you the problem we've got. We're not understanding forgiveness. Forgiveness is not God saying, okay, no big deal, no punishment, I'm going to let you off the hook. Forgiveness is God saying, I'm going to send it away from your life. I'm going to let it go, which means I'm going to deliver you from the sin. Now, let me tell you what I have found in my own struggle with sin. I want to be delivered from the consequences of it a lot of times, but I don't want to be delivered from it because I enjoy it too much. If I'm really honest. God, forgive me. Don't punish me. But man, I really enjoyed it. And, and I can't wait. Till I don't think you were looking because I'm headed right back towards it again. Now, so, most of y'all sitting here looking at me serious like I'm the only one who has a problem with this and you don't. See, if I was honoring what I'd do is I'd get a mic and I'd start going up and down the pews doing interviews with you about whatever. All of us have this, this battle with sin. Whatever our sin is, deep down, the reason we did it in the first place because we enjoyed it. And the reason we're going to go back to it again is because we enjoy it. And we keep going back to it because we enjoy it and we like it. So we don't want to get punished for it. You remember when you were a child and you put your hand in the cookie jar or, you know, took candy you weren't supposed to or play with a toy when you weren't supposed to or whatever and your parent came in and caught you and they said you're going to get a spanking or get put in time out and what do we do I'm so sorry I'm so sorry I'm so sorry and then as soon as the parent walks out of the door what do we do ran right over there and stuck that candy back in our mouth went after them cookies again to play with that toy why because we weren't really sorry we were done it we were just sorry we got caught we were going to get punished for it and when Jesus forgives us what he's saying is, I'm not just letting you go from punishment, I am changing you. The idea was that when that lady walked out of there that day, she was forgiven, but she was forgiven in the sense that she walked in a lady of the street, she walked out a woman of God. 
She walked out of there to have a new reputation. She walked out of there saying, the men of this town don't touch me anymore because the Son of God has touched me and changed my life. And I'm not doing what I used to do and talking the way that I talk because Jesus has changed me. And so I'm not picking that sin up anymore. I have let it go because he's let it go. I have sent it away because he has sent it away. And that is the idea of what it means to be forgiven, to be delivered. Notice what Jesus says to her as he wraps up the story. He says, go in peace. The word peace there is that word in the Greek. It's Arane. It means to have the peace of God, and it builds off the Old Testament term of what's called shalom, which means wholeness. It doesn't just mean the end of conflict. It means that he's healing us. He's making us whole. He's putting us back together. What is Jesus saying? He says, I want you to walk in inner healing. I want you to walk in inner healing. I want you to walk in the wholeness of my touch in your life. Follow me on this. The reason that lady had the brokenness that she had in her life was because deep down on the inside, I would think there was a yearning in her. I want acceptance. I want to feel loved. I want to feel like I'm somebody. And she kept trying to find that through these illicit relationships, and she came up short every time because sin will always sell you short. But when she was transformed by Jesus and Jesus said, go in peace, he was saying you don't need that mess anymore because you have now found wholeness. You have found healing. You have found eternal love, the love of God in your life. You have found what it means to be esteemed by the Son of the living God. You have found what I can do and what I do in your life. And you don't need that anymore. You see, when Jesus begins to heal us, we don't need the sin anymore because we got him. We don't need the sin anymore and all the meeting of the deep needs in our lives anymore. We don't need that because we are finding those needs are met by his love, by his presence, by his care, and by who he is. Go in peace. He looked at Simon. He said, Simon, if you've been forgiven little, you're going to love little. If you've been forgiven much, you're going to love much. Now, was that saying that Simon didn't need to be forgiven much? He did need to be forgiven much. He didn't think he did. You see, the sad part of this story is that Simon walked out of there and he missed everything that the lady found. He missed everything that the lady found. Notice in the story, she touches the feet of Jesus. He never got close enough to touch Jesus. He just sat back and looked at Jesus and judged Jesus. And he missed what Jesus was all about. See, here was the, the oddity in Simon's life. Simon was as empty as the lady was. He just empty in a different way. He was trying to feel important with all the rules he kept. And all the people he had, pardon the pun, kissing up to him. And he missed the wholeness that Jesus had for him. Now, here's where the story ends with this question. Are we more like the lady? Are we more like Simon the Pharisee? Are we more like the lady? Or are we more like Simon the Pharisee? Let's pray. Lord, in the journey of life, 
we are going to find ourselves sometime like Simon, judging you, judging others, staying distant from you. And sometimes, Lord, more times than maybe we would care to acknowledge, we're going to be in the position of that lady. And Father, we wonder if you will even allow us into your presence, let alone to worship you. But Lord, you allow us, you call us, you strategically position yourselves in our lives so that we can come to you. Lord, help us to hear your voice. And Jesus, help us to offer you in humility the reverent worship, the awe that you earn, that you deserve, and that you are worthy of. And Jesus, help us to reach out and touch you and receive in the depths of who we are the healing that you've got for us. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want to give you a moment in prayer to reach out to Jesus and to touch Him. And if you're here or joining us through social media or through radio, we want to invite you, if you need to touch Jesus for the first time, to ask Him to forgive sin, to deliver you, to touch your life and begin that process of transforming you. In just a moment, we here in this room will begin to sing. And if you're here, you need to give your life to Jesus. If you want someone to pray with you, I invite you to walk the aisle here. And we would love to pray with you. If you want to give your life to Jesus today, to pray with you about banking, life's most important decision. If you feel like the Lord's leading you to become part of our church family, to come. And for those of you that are listening to us in any capacity that are not in this room, we invite you to contact us uh, through social media or to our church phone here and, and let us know about your decision or even your desire for prayer so that we can be in prayer with you about what God is doing in your life. Jesus, thank you for these moments in your presence. Lord, touch us, we ask, as we reach out to touch you. Let's stand together and sing.